as is the case in, uh, you know, with all the best instances, uh, there's a story to tell here. That was music from Crash Worship off of a 45 on the Charnel House label called Pyru. I can't quite figure out the name of that song because uh, it's not written anywhere on the sleeve and the record is still sitting over there on turntable number one and it is spinning. And it would be poor radio etiquette for me to stop talking to go find out. So I'll just tell you later. How's that? Crash Worship is a band that I first heard about before I actually heard. And uh, it was kind of great in the, you know, it was a ni- it's sort of a nice relic of the pre-internet age when it took a while to find out about things and there were just sort of rumors about bands. And, and out here in the New York and New Jersey area where I lived, um, there was, you know, we all heard tell of this band from, uh, from California, San Francisco, I think, called, uh, called uh, Crash Worship. And the story that I heard is that they created music that was so jarring and they employed tones and timbers that were so low it would actually rattle your sternum if you were to see them live it would rattle your sternum to the point that you would lose control of your bowels and around 1991 this was my idea of a fun night out so we went to see crash worship me and a bunch of friends who i knew who were in, who were in art school in, in new york at the time i came up from from jersey and uh, and they were all in the city and we met at maxwell's in hoboken to go see um, to go see um, crash worship and they're, hilariously, in retrospect, they were playing with that emo band, Sam I Am, <laughs> which is kind of great. Um, this is around 1991, if I'm not mistaken, 1991 or 92. And so we go see, uh, we go see the, the show, and, and Sam I Am plays, and, and you know, whatever. Don't, don't remember much about that. And then we're all waiting around for Crash Worship to come on, and from the back of the club, or in the back of a club, a smoke bomb goes off. Like, right underneath where a buddy of mine was sitting, like, on a on the floor. And he stands up like, oh, man, who's the jerk who threw the smoke bomb? And people are kind of, like, scattering and freaking out. No one really knows what's going on. And then, like, the back doors of the club kick open, and the cold air from the street comes in into Maxwell's. And these guys and women who are dressed in, like, head-to-toe war paint, covered in mud, um, and carrying huge drums, like huge kettle drums and all these kind of weird homemade percussion instruments just start coming they start walking into the club just playing like and it's really loud and everyone's like whoa what the hell and uh they completely freak people out people are backing away from them you know because when someone approaches you who's covered in mud and they're you know squirting wine out of a wine skin into your face it you know it kind of makes uh, the average sam i am fan a little uncomfortable you might say anyway so people figure out what's going on and all this, there's smoke everywhere. They're going through the crowd, and uh, Crash Worship puts on one of the most memorable live performances I have ever witnessed. My sternum was rattled, but I am pleased to announce that uh, no loss of uh, control of the bodily functions, um, you know, occurred. So, uh, so thank heavens for small favors. And another real highlight of the evening was that they smashed a pumpkin. And I'm sure the staff at Maxwell's was thrilled with this, but they smashed a big pumpkin, like in the middle of the floor. And uh, all the guts and the seeds were rolling around, and, and the guy from Sam I Am was wearing this very nice fisherman's sweater. And I remember the guy from Crash Worship grabbed him and sort of rolled him around in the pumpkin seed, and it was kind of hard not to laugh. Hey, I didn't come here to speak ill of Sam I Am. <sighs> Crash Worship. What a band. Who knows what these guys are doing now? Maybe they're in jail or they went back to their planet. I don't know. Charnel House Records from San Francisco, uh, 1994. We got this 45 here. Um, and I know they had an album that preceded this, the ADRV record, I think it was called, um, also on the Toronto House label, and that's the tour that I saw them in support of. 
So great stuff. Maybe they still play in San Francisco, if the cops haven't busted them yet. Before that, music from a group called Cole, a very mysterious band whom I believe were from somewhere in uh, the North Carolina. I think that's where they called the, I think that's the town that they called home anyway. They released records on the Chapel Hill-based label called Hepcat, uh, alongside bands like Capsize 7 and Jack Drag, The Raymond Break, and Ellery Jet. And uh, the song that we heard from this Cole 45 was called Filthy Skin. Uh, the B-side of this single featured in an MP3 post that I did uh, a couple years ago on WFMU's blog called Music That I Don't Listen To Anymore, um, which in hindsight is kind of a uh, kind of an implied genesis for this podcast, uh, the anti-static podcast, uh, during which time uh, we look back at music from uh, the 1990s singles explosion. And uh, I didn't mean the title to be derogatory in any way, which is not to say that it's not music that I don't like anymore, but it's kind of just... Uh, you know, these 45s that we play on the show are great examples of things that fell through the cracks. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of nostalgia, and I'm not a big fan of promoting that in an artistic capacity. Um, but as far as I can tell, 15 minutes a week or less is okay. Um, you know, I certainly don't endorse uh, listeners uh, to this program to, uh, you know, act out as though they are some sort of like sub pop records version of the guy from the Freedom Rock commercial. Because that's just silly. There was a lot of bulk. A lot of records. There were so many records uh, released during this era. And uh, I think, you know, they, they do deserve sort of special attention now because it was kind of a last hurrah for music as it existed in the, you know, just barely pre-internet age. Um, you know, as I was saying about, uh, about Crash Worship before, you know, they were a band that you heard about before you heard. And that kind of thing just sort of doesn't happen anymore because of the instant access that we have to anything anywhere. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, you got to roll with the changes. And uh, so that's what we're hopefully doing here on a weekly basis. My name is Mike Lapika. This is the Anti-Static Podcast made possible by WFMU, a freeform listener-sponsored radio station in Jersey City that boasts a full arsenal of playlists and archives and a very active blog with tons of MP3s you can check out. And uh, it's a, some say it's a way of life. And I would be happy to count myself among their numbers. We have one more song for you this week, and then I'm going to get on out of here. Uh, we're going to hear from a group, um, speaking of sub-pop records, actually, um, kind of in my mind, the flagship band of the sub-pop label that never really got their day in the sun. And people ask me, you know, why didn't you go see those Stooges reunion shows, Mike, when the Stooges were getting back together? And I was like, you know, that wasn't really my generation, and uh, my generation had their own version of the Stooges, and they were called The Fluid, and they were from Denver, Colorado, and they more so than any other band um, that I was seeing at this time, uh, left audiences completely leveled in the live show capacity. Uh, so it is the least that I can do so many years after the fact. Uh, but to play one of their songs from a single on Sub Pop Records, this is the A-side of a 45 on that label. It is called Tin Top Toy. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking this out. We'll see you next time on Anti-Static. This is The Fluid. <laughs>